Mattering is universal longing. Mattering to others brings us a sense of coherence in our lives, gives us meaning in life. And so mattering is the belief that we're a significant part of the world around us. Welcome back everyone to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on all around us and explore the disruptive convergence of technology, business, and people. Here are your hosts, Ira Wolf and Jason Coffin. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation, and I'm Ira Wolf. And I'm Jason Cochran. If you think this is just another podcast, think again. We are the voice of the most important, crucial conversations that are confronting business leaders and people today. Our goal is to bring you ways to reimagine tomorrow and explore the impact and convergence of business, technology, and people. And this episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization is sponsored by our partner, Y Institute, your personal and professional GPS for a meaningful life and purpose-filled career. We'll hear more about the Y Institute and their operating system in just a few minutes. So it's great to be back here, Jason, um, after, and thanks for holding down the fort. You had a couple of great interviews uh, with Lindsay Bacardo about unlocking generational brilliance and with uh, Sarah White uh, about some amazing and troubling new HR and workplace trends they came out with in their, uh, in their recent research. So while I wasn't able to join you, I was able to listen from about 30,000 feet up on my way out to uh, the National Association of Home Builders Conference. So I heard Lindsay's conversation and it really was amazing. And also uh, Sarah's. Uh, so I wish I could have been there, but it was great to have them recorded and and uh, and can't wait to get those podcasts out to everybody. So everybody else who wasn't able to join you live, you and uh, Lindsay and Sarah live, uh, will be able to listen to it. But today uh, we're back in the studio, I'm on the ground and uh, we're excited to hear from Zach Mercurio how perfect is this? His expertise is mattering at work. And I can't help think, as many people can, to relate this back to the tragedy just two days ago at uh, Michigan State University. And also just a few minutes ago, it was announced that the shooter from the uh, Buffalo supermarket uh, was sentenced for killing 10 people. Um, we tend to forget that the university and supermarkets are both not only places go to learn and, and shop and buy goods, but they're workplaces. They're workplaces. And yep. mattering at work matters and mattering in general matters, which leads me right into today's perfect labor storm segment, which uh, for each episode, we focus on a disruptive, surprising, worrisome trend uh, that we believe you should know. and. Speaking of mattering at work or just mattering in general, <laughs> uh, here's today's perfect labor storm. Gallup in its recently, in its recent State of the Global Workplace 2022 report found that 60% of people re reported being emotionally detached at work. 19% said they were miserable and 50%, 57% said they were not engaged or and not thriving. Uh, in the U.S. specifically, 50% of workers reported feeling stressed in their jobs on a daily basis, 
41% said they were worried, 22% said they were sad, and 18% said they were angry. Uh, in October of 2022, just a few months ago, the U.S. Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, Murthy, released the new framework for mental health and well-being in the workplace, which named Mattering at Work, which again is our topic today, a top priority for improving mental health. Uh, in that report, 81% of workers reported that they will be looking for workplaces that support mental health in the future, and 84% said that the workplace was uh, one in negative impact on their uh, mental health. Yeah, well, well first off, Ira, welcome back. Um, you're looking very tan and relaxed for our viewers who are watching on YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook. It's good to have you back, partner. Um, and, and I'm going to keep it short today so that we can get to Zach because he's got so much important information on this mattering at work topic. But make no mistake, um, you know something is considered gravely important anytime the Department of Health and Human Services and the Surgeon General get involved, which is precisely what happened this last fall. Um, if you've ever been curious about the job description for the nation's top doctor, here it is in a nutshell. The Surgeon General is tasked with focusing on the most pressing public health issues of our time. So anyone who thinks creating healthy business cultures and bringing mattering and purpose to work, if anyone who thinks that that's not critical to the advancement and quite frankly, the survival of our species, you better think again. And we're gonna get straight to it today um, with Zach around this topic. So here's a little bit about Zach before we bring him on as he helps us sort through all of this. Zach Mercurio is an author, a researcher, a speaker, and a consultant specializing in purposeful leadership, meaningful work, and positive organizational psychology. He's an affiliate professor at Colorado State University in the Center for Meaning and Purpose. He's also the author of the book, The Invisible Leader, Transform Your Life, Work, and Organization with the Power of Authentic Purpose. And the book was praised by Ariana Huffington as a compelling book filled with powerful stories, cutting edge research and practical tools that show us how to lead with purpose. Some of the work that Zach has done has been with hundreds of companies, governments and schools around the world to forge purposeful leaders and cultivate positive cultures that enable more meaning, mattering, motivation, well-being and performance. So in other words, the exact stuff that the Surgeon General and the Department of Health and Human Services is saying, we got to get fixed ASAP. Some of his clients and partners have included J.P. Morgan Chase, the Government of Canada, Marriott International, American Express Global Business Travel, and the Food and Drug Administration, Michelin, the National Park Service, and Hewlett Packard, just to name a few. And he also serves as one of Simon Sinek's Optimist Instructors. So without further ado, let's give a warm Googleization Nation welcome to today's honored guest, Dr. Zach Mercurio. Thanks, Ira. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. I appreciate you highlighting this issue at the forefront of the show. Absolutely. Well, and it, we want to hear your story. This is obviously our first chance, even though we followed your work, to actually meet you. So tell us about your journey of how you got interested in this work around mattering and meaning and purposeful leadership in organizations. Yeah, I find many of us who study purpose and meaningfulness uh, have experienced the lack of it at some point. And I remember my first job out of college 
was in an advertising firm and I was making a lot of money. I had all of the outward symbols of success. People were very proud of me on the outside, but I felt very miserable and very empty. And it wasn't because the job itself wasn't meaningful. It was because I was unable to experience purpose in the job and meaning in the job. And one of the reasons why is that everybody would come into the office and on a Monday, they'd talk about what's happening in the next weekend or what happened the weekend before. And I became astonished at how many people live for two-sevenths of their lives the weekend. And during that time in that job where there was this hyper-focus on achievement and acquisition and, and not purpose, I met a lot of people, whether cab drivers or bus drivers, who exuded this joy, you know, that I hadn't seen in my office. And when I talked to them about, you know, their jobs, uh, they talked about the contribution they made through what they did and didn't talk as much about what they did. And, and that's been when I became obsessed with understanding how people can develop that perspective toward their work, the place where people spend a third of their waking lives, wherein they think about how am I contributing through what I'm doing? How is what I'm doing, Matt? How does do I and what I'm doing matter regardless of where I am? And I've spent the last decade now since that trajectory changing realization, uh, researching how we can develop that mindset and create cultures that make it easier for people to experience purpose. And mainly because I didn't have it. That's fascinating. And, and you, today's episode, we're talking about mattering. Um, but, yeah. but I often wonder sometimes, you know, a lot of different words, we kind of kind of conflate them and put them all together, yeah. but they mean different things. Yes. And we specifically use the word mattering today. So can you give us a definition of mattering? And then how is it different from another buzzword right now, belonging? Uh, mattering is three things. One, it's a survival instinct. So we were born with an instinct as babies to tilt our head upward as the first thing we did to look for someone to value us. If a caretaker didn't value us, we literally would not survive. Our brains never let go of that instinct. Uh, we are wired to have caring interpersonal relationships. That's why when you said, you know, at the beginning of the show, if you don't think that creating cultures of well-being is important, you know, we've got news for you. Well, really, if you think like creating mattering is touchy-feely, it's about as touchy-feeling as feeding someone who's hungry for lunch. The second is that mattering is a fundamental human need. We're wired to have caring interpersonal relationships that show us the evidence of our significance. And then the third is that mattering is universal longing. Mattering to others brings us a sense of coherence in our lives, gives us meaning in life. And so mattering is the belief that we're a significant part of the world around us. It comes from two things, feeling valued and knowing how we add value. But it's important to couch the definition of mattering in the fact that it's a survival instinct. You can't not need it. It's built into you, just like being hungry or sleeping. It's a basic need and it's a universal longing. How it's different than belonging um, belonging is feeling a part of a group, feeling welcome and included in a group. Mattering is feeling significant to members of that group. 
for example, I may feel like I belong in a relationship, like say a marriage. I may belong in that relationship. I may feel included in that relationship, but I may not feel noticed, affirmed, and needed by my partner. That's the experience of, of mattering. Both are reinforcing, right? You Experiencing mattering from someone else probably increases your likelihood of experiencing belonging. Experiencing belonging in a group gives you more chances to experiencing mattering. But one can belong in a group and not feel like they matter in a group. And it's where a lot of the uh, DEI and inclusion and belonging initiatives fall short is that they don't talk about and embed the interpersonal practices of creating mattering as part of their strategies. That's fascinating, Zach. And I've got one more question before I'm going to let Ira hop in here and, and start asking his questions because I know he's got a bunch too for you. But you mentioned that the core of, of mattering, that there's a dichotomy, there's two things to it. There's feeling like you're valued, but then also feeling like what you're doing is adding value. Mm -hmm. Out of curiosity, in, in the work that you've done in organizations, is there one of those that workplaces tend to do better or worse than the other? I think that making sure people feel valued is something that we take for granted as common sense. Uh, and the problem is it's not common practice because feeling valued is things like, you know, my full name, you check in on me, you notice my struggles, you offer actions to help, you notice me, um, you know, but just think for yourself right now, as you're listening, do you know your FedEx driver's last name? Um, have you checked in with your uh, barista who gives you the coffee about how they're doing? Uh, that team member who's on your team, have you checked in uh, with how their vacation was two weeks ago or how that person's family member who is starting a new job is doing, right? We tend to take for granted and leave some of the, the, the practices that create that feeling of being valued up to intuition. We leave that up to intuition, but intuition doesn't scale um, and practices do. And so I find that we under practice noticing others and valuing them as evidenced by the fact that upwards of 65% of employees repeatedly say they feel invisible, undervalued, and insignificant in work. And that's been like flatlined for almost a decade, according to numerous global studies. Um, and so I, I think that we're a little bit better at showing people how they add value, but I still don't think we're, we're good at it. We're not specific enough. Uh, we don't show people how their specific strengths make a specific impact. And that's what true affirmation is and adding value is. It's not a thank you or an appreciation event. It's showing people the evidence of their significance and how their uniqueness makes a unique difference. You're much younger than I am, so but I'm so happy to say, hear that, that your journey was reflective. It's almost self-therapy. It's like, hey, this is missing <laughs> from my life. And and so often that happens, that becomes our pursuit. That becomes our right. our reason. That becomes our purpose. And it takes a while to do that. And that was an older baby boomer. Um, I'm you know, until recently it was still, how do I articulate that? And and we'll we'll get into talking about the why and Simon Sinek and and start with yeah. why and making that connection. But as you were talking, um, and this came across my desk maybe a year or so ago, and finally made the connection. Uh, you know, Gallup does this emotions, uh, what they call a global emotions report. And in there, they ask five, they ask 10 questions. There's five about a positive experience and five about a negative experience. Uh, anybody can go up and download it. But it was amazing about, you know, how many people felt sad, how, how many people mm. were anxious, how many people were worried, how many people felt pain yesterday. And the numbers are astonishingly and terrifying high. Um, that 
But it's not just that we can remove stress. And I think that's one of the challenges that we face. It's like, how do we eliminate stress from the workplace? How do we eliminate burnout from the workplace? Is going to the positive side. And, uh, and, and but even that, there was, I think it was only 30% or 30 of the people said they did not feel any of these emotions yesterday. They did not feel joy. They did mm. not feel respected. They did not feel that they learned anything. Um, so as you were talking about mattering and belonging, then I guess some of the other buzzwords that come out, um, you know, and let's, we'll take the eliminating stress and burnout <laughs> off the table for the moment. Um, but what can we do on the, what can organizations and people do on the positive side to help increase the number of positive experiences that we have? Gallup doesn't talk about happy, they talk about happiness and we talk more about fulfillment and then we're throwing in belonging and mattering. So we have all these words out there. Can you help make, uh, make sense of this kind of word, you know, salad that's out there? Yeah, I'll give you my I'll give you my pitch based on the research that I've done. Mattering has to come first. Uh, it's almost impossible for anything to matter to a human being who doesn't believe that they matter. Uh, it's it's negligent to expect someone to care until they feel cared for. And so, what I mean by that is that for someone to experience, say, motivation or joy or positive emotions they would first have to believe that they're worthy of those positive emotions. For someone to uh, find their why or find their contribution or experience purpose, they would first have to believe that they have something worthy to contribute. If we want people to feel in flow, if we want people to use their strengths, they would first have to believe that they have strengths. And I think, and research is showing, it, that mattering is the missing link. It's the precondition, the prerequisite for all of those things. I think what we do in organizations is we try to apply things like uh, appreciation events or awards or throw more money at people who already don't feel like they matter. And again, nothing matters to someone who doesn't believe that they matter. Now just think about this morning. Uh, if you didn't believe that you mattered, that your life was somehow worthy of the unrelenting attention you gave it, you probably wouldn't get out of bed this morning. You probably wouldn't do much of anything. Right, our the, every cell in our body has to have the belief that we are somehow significant to animate any action in our life. So, um, I think that organizations can can do three things, and make sure that every person who interacts with another person in the organization knows how to notice people, um, notice if someone's struggling, and offer an action however imperfect, to alleviate that struggle. Make sure that people feel affirmed. Making sure that I can name your IRA's unique strengths and show you the clear line of sight between your strengths and the impact and do that regularly. And then I think organizations need to make sure people feel needed, that people feel indispensable and relied on. You know, we went through three years of who's the essential worker. It's kind of ridiculous because it assumes some people aren't essential, which creates you know, an epidemic of anti-mattering. And uh, great leaders, I think, treat everybody as essential. They, they throw that old trope of don't forget you're replaceable at work out the window and treat everybody as the irreplaceable human beings they are. And I think only when we do that can we start to experience those things like joy. It frees us up to experience joy. It frees us up to experience relationships. 
Like for me to build a healthy relationship with you, I have to believe that I'm worthy of being in a relationship with. And when we don't have that, it's it's really difficult. So that's my pitch for why I think, and the U.S. Surgeon General thinks that mattering has to come first as a foundation for mental health and well-being. Happiness is a resultant condition. Even engagement, employee engagement, is a lagging indicator. Um, one of the most powerful psychological states for those lagging indicators is psychological meaningfulness. So I think leaders and organizations should be focusing on the leading indicators of meaningfulness, which come from the experience of mattering, and not so much on let's measure engagement and happiness. Last night, I, I think I was talking to um, Jason prior to the show about this. We went out for Valentine's dinner and you know, we're sitting at the restaurant. It turned out to be that the owner was there and you know she was in her 30s. Her, her and her husband just opened up this place. It, it also kind of blew apart the whole thing about millennials not you know working hard since she was mm. also had a, held down, not only she was running the restaurant, but held down a full-time job as a nurse. <laughs> You know, mm. and also had two kids. Mm. Uh, so all these things. But beyond that, she said, you know, the hardest part is finding people, you know, finding line cooks, finding clerks, finding staff. So I'm going to put myself in her shoes because I was not able to answer this question really succinctly. How can she create an environment? How can she help line cooks feel that their job matters? I mean, mm. here there are people getting $12, $15 an hour. I'm sure there are many people, employers, managers, owners listening to the show, HR people saying, hey, you know, I get it. We can do this with people that are professionals, college degree, uh, our executives. But how do we get somebody, a line, a frontline worker to feel that they that their job matters? Mm, absolutely. I mean, one of our studies was with university janitors, custodians. Um, most of whom aren't five years old and saying, I want to be a janitor in my life. A lot of people fall into that job because they need to put food on the table. I remember one woman we interviewed um, and we asked her, you know, what, why did you get this job? And she goes, I was near homelessness. It was the only job that would hire me. But when we asked her, why did you stay? She said that in her first two weeks on the job, a supervisor noticed that she was struggling brought her into a break room, pulled out a dictionary and defined the word custodian as a person who's responsible for a building and everyone in it. And she said it was the first time in her life where someone showed her she was worthy of responsibility. Um, and she's been at the university for over 25 years now. She's one of the most sought after janitors. But we find that, right? People, especially early on, regardless of what you're doing, what kind of job you're doing, if you experience these regular moments that show you the evidence of your significance, it can alter the belief systems about yourself. Um, but I would back up and I would ask the big question is, how are we seeing people? How are we seeing our employees? I was on a manufacturing floor. I asked them, you know, what do you do for your onboarding program? And they said, onboarding, Zach, we're just trying to get warm bodies. If you see people as a warm body, you will treat them as a warm body. If you treat them as a warm body, that's what they will become to you. When somebody feels replaceable, they will act replaceable. For an extra 50 cents on the dollar, they'll go up the street. When someone feels irreplaceable, when they feel needed, they act needed. For example, Ira, if I was like, hey, let's go to, you want to come to a dinner party tomorrow night at my house? And you're like, I don't really know, Zach, but I'm going to be nice. So I'm going to say yes. And you say yes, but then you get up tomorrow morning and you don't want to go. How easy is it for you to get out of it? Pretty easy. But if I said, hey, Ira, I need you to bring dessert tomorrow to my dinner party. Will you come? And you're like, yeah. But then you get up tomorrow morning and you're like, 
I don't really want to go to the Zach guy's dinner party, but he needs me to bring dessert. How hard is it for you to get out of that plan? Really hard. When we feel irreplaceable, we act irreplaceable. So are you viewing your, your potential employees as just line workers that will leave and go somewhere else for extra 50 cents? Are you, are you seeing them as indispensable human beings? And I think that's important. I think another thing is important is to personalize the, the process more. I work, one of the, my clients is a car wash. They hire a lot of car wash attendants. I got an email from the general manager that said, hey, we need help. No one's showing up for our interviews. They fill out our applications and then they don't show up for the group interview. And I said, well, let me see your emails. And here's what the email said. It was an automated email. It says, hello, you, your next step is to sign up for this interview. Click this link below. Thank you to, to, to schedule your interview. Thank you. So I looked at the interview and all we did differently is I said, why don't you put their name? Hello, name. Why don't you put something unique about them that you learned about them on their application? Hey, we noticed that you had this experience as a car mechanic. We really use that experience here. It's really needed here and we can help you build upon that. Oh, and by the way, click the link below to schedule your group appointment because Carrie will be waiting for you at the entrance when you come in. Thank you, Carrie. Here's my phone number if you need anything. All we did was change that wording and he got 100% of people that showed up at the following group interviews. Again, people wanna feel noticed and seen as more than just a resource to fill a job. They wanna be seen as a full human being. That's brilliant, Zach. And the extensions, I think also go into school. I know that you do some work with schools as well. I actually cut my teeth as a psychologist, uh, being an educational psychologist. I worked in schools oh, cool. for about a decade. Um, and so a lot of times I kind of filter things through those experiences I had. And one of the things that we would often share, we didn't share it as eloquently as you did, but we would always share this saying, which is nobody rises to low expectations, mm. particularly with students. And it's like, you know, if you're a teacher and you're communicating that you don't expect much from this particular student, then typically they're going to live up to those expectations. Mm. But if you think there's greatness inside of them that you can nurture, that you can help guide. They believe that too. And the ripple effect that we that I would see in schools, um, no doubt it happens in work too, but we're so, I think we get so focused on so many other business processes that have to do with sales and revenue generation mm -hmm. that sometimes we forget fundamentally a business is a collection of people. And the psychological mm -hmm. principles and the things that you said that are just as necessary in terms of their needs as food and water, which is they need to feel like they matter. We often just kind of look over those things and I just want to, uh, you know, yeah, reinforce that, that this also applies into schools as well. Um, we're going to take a quick break here in just a moment. And so Zach, when we come back, let's continue digging in on this a little bit more. And let's also start bringing this mattering into work you do around purpose, because I think there's yeah, a bridge yeah. there and you have a framework for once we get people to feel like they matter, how do we start getting that to align with purpose in an organization? And so start thinking about that um, as we get ready to hear from a couple of our sponsors on the show. And we'll be back in two minutes with Zach Mercurio. For most of us, change is freaking terrifying. And unfortunately, there's no app to adapt. That might change in the not so distant future. But for now, we're on our own. That means we can either accept our default future or reimagine our tomorrow. For those of you who choose default, good luck. 
Just remember, there's no pause button for change. You can't turn back the clock. And there's no get-out-of-jail-free card in this age of perpetual uncertainty. Like it or not, change will happen all around us. And that change is not becoming just more disruptive and frequent, but volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous, or VUCA. Fortunately, you can make change work for you and turn it into your personal and competitive advantage. Reimagine your future to one in which you're living with purpose, you're happy, and you're growing, thriving, and flourishing. If you're ready to rewrite your next life chapter and regain control of your destiny in this never-normal world, your journey starts here. Contact the leader in adaptability and making change work for you, your team, and your organization. Ira S. Wolf, Adaptability.expert. There's a certain kind of coach who believes what we believe, who leads people to greatness, who gets people unstuck, who unlocks all of your passion, a coach who helps people discover what drives them to tap into their superpowers. Then knowing your why is the first step to untap potential, to focus, to breakthroughs, a coach who's looking for a better way. Are you that coach? And welcome back, everybody, to the Geek Skeezers Googleization Show. Today, we're joined by Zach Mercurio, thought leader and expert on purpose and mattering in the workplace. And so the first half of the show, we covered a lot of mattering. And, and Zach said, if you're an organizational leader, that's where you have to start first is doing the daily behaviors and practices that make people feel like they matter. But Zach, before we left for the break, we said, now let's bridge this into purpose. So after we get past the first step of making people feel like they matter, how does that then lead into creating and instilling purpose throughout an organization with a large number of people? Mm. Yeah, so purpose is an input that helps people to believe that they matter. And at the same time, to experience purpose, people have to first believe that they matter. So I'm glad the order that we did this, but they're self-reinforcing. Um, and it's important to define what purpose is because there's a lot of talk out there. I mean, whether it's your why, your purpose, your vision, your mission, purpose is the reason for which something is done or created. It's use or usefulness. It does not necessarily have to be your grand cause. You do not have to be an organization that's in business to solve the water crisis to have purpose. And this is a big misconception about purpose. Purpose is your usefulness. Almost every job on the planet exists to solve some sort of human need, solve some human problem, fill some human desire. You know, I teach part-time at university and, and for some of the students who are graduating to get a job, one of the things I, I tell them is make sure that you don't ever think that a job exists to pay you. Like no job was ever created to give someone money. No good hiring manager's like, hey, let's give someone some money, you know, for doing something. You know, every job exists to solve a human need, fill a human problem. Whether it's a team member's problem, a client's problem, some bigger problem. Find that, focus on that, fill that human need better than anybody else. And that's where you arrive at purpose. So I think it's important to recognize that. 
one, purpose is the reason for which something exists. It's something's use or usefulness. We're all useful to each other daily. We all have purpose daily by default. All of our companies have purpose. You don't have to go find it. It's right where you are waiting to be acknowledged. The second thing that I would say is there's a big difference between having purpose and being purposeful. I know a lot of companies, a lot of leaders that have a why statement, they have a purpose statement, but they wake up every day and ask the question, what do I have to do today? What am I going to get from this meeting today? What am I going to get from my people today? How am I going to get through the day? If you were really purposeful, you would ask, how is what I'm going to do today going to impact others? What can I give to this meeting? How can, my, how can I use my strengths to positively impact the next person I talk to? So you can have a purpose and not be purposeful. Being purposeful is contribution-centered thinking, being, and doing. And so I invite every leader to think about this as they're listening to this show right now is, do we have a purpose? And are we contribution-centered collectively in how we think, how we approach our work, and how we think about our everyday interactions? And there are some things that leaders can do to help people be more purposeful in their work. And I think a leader's key role is to clear out the line of sight between someone's individual tasks and what they're doing with its inevitable usefulness to others so that they have that evidence of their significance so it's easier for them to be contribution-centered. I, I love that. I, I love that that being having a purpose is not the same as being purposeful. In, in the first segment, we talked a little, we talked about just asking people, how do they feel? You just, you just yeah. shared that. How, how, do you, how do you help people feel like they're contributing? How do we bring that out? Uh, a lot of managers aren't comfortable. A lot of people aren't comfortable asking those questions. Mm. Uh, I was listening to um, Find Your Why um, by mm -hmm. Simon Sinek mm -hmm. on the way back. Just, and, you know, he talks a lot about that. And it's like, find somebody that, that knows you, but not too well. Mm -hmm. And uh, that can give you some objective feedback. But, you know, having been down this road for a couple decades, is I know there are people that are just not comfortable having that conversation <laughs> to be able to ask yeah. that because yeah. people being vulnerable, sharing, what, you know, why are they having a bad day? What matters? They may be embarrassed to say they're sleeping in their car. Um, yeah, yeah on the table, they can't take their child to, to, to get care, whatever it might be. How, any tips, I mean, that uh, how we can get people more comfortable. One is asking those questions uh, in a way that makes people okay to answer. Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of things I'm hearing you're, you're asking. One is around having the conversations with individuals about their purpose. Uh, and the second is having conversations which allow you to gather enough data about the person to be able to notice them and show them that they care. The first question, I think that we we overcomplicate purpose. Uh, and we think it's this, bit, this huge idea. But I like to break it down to three things. If you're uncomfortable talking about like, hey, what's your reason for existence, <laughs> which I don't. I don't uh, blame you. you. Break it down into the components of purpose. One, which is passion, what you love to do. Hey, what do you do on a daily basis here that makes you lose track of time? Uh, if I, what is something that if I were to interrupt you doing that you'd be mad at me? Uh, what are those things where you would do it all day? Those are the things people love, right? Passion. The second is ask some questions about talent, right? What, what, do, what do other people ask you to do here that you're just good at? What, have, what do other people come to you for? 
um, whether it's in your family or your uh, friends, what, what do people come to you for? Um, like for me, like I'm really good at booking travel and researching things. I can have all the tabs open, right? doesn't mean I love doing it, but I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good systems thinker. And so that's something that's part of my purpose is help, helping people see those bigger patterns in their lives to, to realize their own significance. And then three, ask them about impact. So passion, talent, and impact. What bothers you about how our team's operating? Uh, what bothers, what do you think can be better about people's lives here, about the world? Uh, how do you think you can use your passions and talents to make the world better? I mean, it's, so it's, it's a breaking it down into these types of questions that I think are powerful. And then with your question about getting, really getting to know people, ask people questions that people can actually answer, right? So instead of like, how are you? Ask a question like, what has your attention today? Um, what have you been thinking about most today? What's been like dominating your thoughts today? Or another question that's a low entry point is uh, just asking, you know, what, uh, what's something that I might be able to help you with? What's a burden? What's something that's, that, that's a, a workload that you have that I may be able to, to help with? Um, what are you struggling with? Um, what was, what was the most meaningful part of your day? Right. Oftentimes when we start asking these entry point questions, we start cracking open the space a little bit, um, to get to know people and to notice them. And when we ask questions about their purpose, we can help affirm them as well. So it sounds like Zach, we need to instill some Sherlock Holmes mentality with a lot of our leaders in terms of being able to ask better questions with people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and think about all the ways where you can do that. Your one-on-ones, your meetings. You know, I was I was observing a, a client, one of their meetings they have. It's a coaching client, and he started the meeting uh, saying, and I see this all the time, so it's not just him. But he started a meeting saying, uh, "Hope everybody's doing well." <laughs> right? People don't need your hope; uh, <laughs> they need your support, and they need you to, to to know them. Or, how's everybody doing? Good. Right, it's those types of things that actually shut off noticing people, or we just jump into agendas. Like as teams, we jump into what we're doing with each other, without spending our rare time together talking about how we are with one another. So, do you spend more time in your meetings talking about what you do, which in that case that could be an email, or do you spend your time creating the space for people to talk about how they are, how they're working together? Um, how they're feeling. That's the stuff that can't be replicated in an email. And with that, the last question from me before I know Iris got another one or two he wants to ask before we get to the lightning round, but we are a show about the future of work. And so I've got to ask you, does the advent of, of more technology, is it making it more challenging or is it making it easier to try and have these type of conversations? What does the, the future of, of mattering look like in the workplace? Yeah, there's some organizational psychologist peers that would disagree with me, but I do think that human beings were meant to be with other human beings. Uh, I don't think that we were built to sit by ourselves all day. Uh, it's just not how we're wired. Uh, and so I think that if you can, if you're in an environment where you can get people together to see people, to experience people's nonverbal interactions, to be able to see a full person, I think that's important. However, I don't think technology is bad. I think how we use it is bad. If say, if like, for example, if we used Zoom instead of using it to be more efficient and to get through what we have to get through, and we thought about using it to create a sense of mattering and to notice a firm and need all of our people, it would look much differently of how we use it. 
Uh, I'm shocked at how many times I'm on a virtual call and somebody says, I know nobody wants to be on another Zoom call, so we're going to get through this as fast as possible. Great. I really feel excited uh, to be here. You just told me that everybody doesn't want to be here and we're going to get through this as fast as possible. Right? We do these little things all the time. So again, I think that if we can use technology, you know, and, and I like I like human-centered design, and we can design our technological philosophy and adapt our tools to use it by thinking about the human outcomes we want versus the just the business outcomes we want. I think we'd all be a lot better off. So those are my two things. One, human beings need to be around other human beings to flourish. Two. Uh, if you use technology, make sure you use it to do the things that matter, which is like creating mattering, connecting people to purpose. Um, and then three, I will say this for people, don't be wishy-washy about your policy. If your values as a company want people to come back into the workplace because you value interpersonal connection, be clear on that. People can tolerate clarity. It's hard to tolerate ambiguity. I, I've worked with a lot of companies that have these policies, these one-off individualized policies that is causing a lot of friction. So just be clear on what your expectations are and align it to your values or your purpose. Well, the the ESP, the well, as my wife says, the ESPN, but the the, the, <laughs> ES, the ESP, the, the uh, telepathy uh, was going on. So you actually asked the question and answered the question <laughs> uh, that I was gonna talk about was where does all this fit into remote work? And oh, yeah, you know, with yeah. a lot of controversy, you know, going on and the fact that we just need to learn how to use technology better. For some, I mean, they found their purpose, they found their meaning, they feel that they matter more, that they're now at home, they spend time with their kids, um, they're not spending Absolutely. four hours a day in a commuting, in a commute, uh, so they can actually do what they enjoy doing, which is not driving. Um, so yeah, there, there's yeah, a combination right. there that it really creates opportunity, but you're right. I mean, there are times when we do need to be in the same, we should be in the same room, but people blame the technology for you know the problem or our as i keep saying our inability to use the technology in an effective way uh, to be able to, to create those connections but if you if you if managed you know i go back to gallup's report you know everybody says oh we want to go back to normal the way it used to be well yeah 70 percent of the population of the workers were disengaged that 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 was normal <laughs> Is that where you, it wasn't good before. Right. And then we threw technology into the mix and, 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 you know, we talk, I talk about VUCA. That was my TED talk. You know, I've been talking about it for 20 years, you know, volatility, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. complexity and ambiguity. And you just talked about ambiguity is that's, that's always there. That's pervasive. It's in the air. It's in our environment. Yeah. Um, and, and our <laughs> life did get a lot more volatile and certain complex and ambiguous. So, you know, being in person doesn't make that easier. Yeah. And I think we, I think sometimes going back as you raised a really good point, I think sometimes we oversimplify things like remote work is always good. Uh, coming into the office is bad, right? That's how pop psychologists get viral LinkedIn posts, right? Is this is good. This is bad. The, the remote work, right? Remote work reveals something too about us. Like, for example, you mentioned, what does it really reveal? Well, people value their full lives as human beings. They like to be available to take their kids to doctor's appointments or to work on a hobby, uh, or they like to be able to have some time to think, meaning they, they like the ability to be able to be a full human being, experiencing the fullness of life. I think that's what we should abstract out from this um, affinity for remote work and say, 
that yes, that gets at what we started this whole uh, conversation about, which is that human beings want to be noticed as their full human beings. And that's one thing I think, no matter where you stand on remote work, that we can all learn. Uh, and that, and we can all agree that we've, we've come to understand that, that human beings are full human beings when they're working. And I love the caution of the pop psychology there, Zach. It takes me back to one of my first classes with my major psychology professor in college. And the first two words he said were there, you know, the two words that are the most important in social science research, he said, are this, it depends. Absolutely. Um, and I, and I think that's a great um, reminder that you just gave all of us is to not, you know, get, get caught up in these all bad, all good scenarios. So much of it depends on jagged yeah. profiles. That's what people are. Yep. And it depends on your context and circumstances. So a great reminder there. And I'll add on one, one final thing. Question. Can I add one thing? Oh, yeah. It leaves yeah. out about 60% of the workforce who's in the service-based industry that can't remote work. Right, like a trucker can't remote work. Right. A distribution center right. packer cannot remote work. The person cleaning the plane when you get off cannot work remotely. Most people cannot work remotely. Yet our conversations about work focus on the 30, 40% of knowledge workers who can. When we think about the future of work, we need to be thinking about the future of workers, not just of work. And it needs to encompass all of work. So like you said, it depends. It depends on the context of what we're talking about. So any leadership advice you see, take it, take and really think about in my context that I'm an expert in, how can I optimize this and make this work? Um, and I think that will make us all better. So sorry to interrupt, but you sparked that. So it was a good thought. No, that was perfect. Perfect add on there and a great reminder um, for our folks to, to take that into consideration. And so I'm going to kick it over to Ira. He's got one final question that we usually like to ask our guests. And then Zach, we're going to go right into the lightning round to get to know you a little bit better. Cool. What did we, what was one question we should have asked you, but, but we didn't? Mm. I think one question that you could have asked was, uh, what should a leader who wants to do something do next? Well, I got a great question to ask you. <laughs> one final question. <laughs> what can a do, what can a leader do next after listening to this? Yeah. What's because I know like I, I've gotten to be a guest on a lot of these great shows and this is a great conversation. I've listened to a lot of them. I've watched a lot of TED Talks, but I'm oft, often left overwhelmed, you know, with like, oh, I should create mattering. Now what? It's like, oh, I should eat better. And then I Google it. And it's like, I have way too much. I don't know what to do. I think the first thing that a leader can do is to self-assess themselves. Do, do, do like a gut check for yourself around those three areas noticing, affirming, and needing. I think that mod models are helpful because, and I, I, part of my life is in academia, so I like models, but I think they're really helpful because they give us a lens and a way to define something that can be really ethereal and hard to put our hands around. So do I make the people around me on a daily basis feel noticed? What am I doing to notice people? And how can I help people feel more seen? Who do I need to check in on? And just start it in your personal life. Who do I need to follow up with? Uh, the second is affirmed. Who around me don't I know about in terms of their unique strengths? Could I name everybody's unique gifts around me? 
when's the last time I showed them what their unique gifts are? And just kind of write a note to yourself. And the final piece is, when's the last time I showed someone they were, they were needed? When's the last time I said these five words, if it wasn't for you? Um, and show them that I was relied upon. And I think that that self-assessment on noticing, affirming, and needing can really help you zero in on where to focus your attention after a conversation like this. Zach, that was a brilliant question and answer there um, that you just provided. Like, seriously, I can't, I can't believe how quickly we are. We've gone through the show. We've already come up <laughs> near the end here. And we're going to have to get you back on for a part two because we just scratched the surface. Yeah, today yeah. There's so many practices. Yeah. Exactly. And so I feel like today was kind of like getting through the theory. And maybe the next time we have you on, we'll get into more of the application like you just got into. Yeah, that would be awesome. awesome. Cool. Well, here we go. Let's get to know you a little bit better. I'm going to send you uh, three questions your way uh, to get to know you a little bit better on a personal level. So let's start with this one. Who is your favorite band or musician? Foo Fighters and Dave Grohl. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Read First his, me read his memoir, The Storyteller. It's, it's really good. I'll have to do that. He yeah. was, they, they were here a couple years ago. Oh, awesome. Um, they, there's a music venue just across the street from where I live, like about 200 yards cool. here in Indianapolis. And he broke his foot. Oh, you were there? Like yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was yeah, there. Yeah. He did the show on a throne. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's if awesome. you're going to break your foot, one way to come out and just nail it is to play guitar and sing yeah. from a throne. So yeah. love the Foo Fighters there. Yeah. Uh, how about this one? If there was one person in the history of the world that you could spend the day with, who would it be? Right now, just because I just finished his second book, uh, Victor Frankl, who wrote Man's Search for Meaning um, and really was the person who popularized in a good way the need for meaning before anything else. And I think if he were still around today, he would probably latch on to the mattering idea uh, as, a, as, a, as almost a better term for it. But um, just the, the fact that he endured some of the most hellish conditions on earth, uh, a concentration camp, and was able to experience and craft meaning into that experience is really remarkable. And so I'd want to talk more about how, like how, dig into how, how he did that. How, what, what can we learn? from a practice standpoint. That's awesome. One of my favorite books and authors as well. And I got to think, just like you said, he would probably be very fascinated and appreciative <laughs> of the work that you're doing as well. Um, and then the, the last one here, how about uh, a, a superpower? If you could pick any superpower in the world, what would you pick and why? Mm. To feel what other people feel. An empathy calibrator. Spoken like a true psychologist. Like to be able to <laughs> actually feel the sensation of, if, of someone's struggle, because I think that that would motivate a lot of positive action. That's really insightful and deep. I love that. Zach, we, um, we can't thank you enough for coming on the show today and being with our listeners. You shared so many helpful tips and practices. Uh, of how to bring mattering and purpose into the workplace. And so as we get ready to wrap up here, we've got your website, um, ZachMercurio.com. It's scrolling across the bottom there. How else can people get in touch with you um, or the work that you're doing um, in your consulting group? Yeah, my favorite platform right now is LinkedIn, to be honest with you. It's, it's such a great place to find people who are really trying to do good work around leadership. 
Um, and so I'm always adding insights and there's a great community there. So it's just Zach Mercurio. I don't know how many of us there are, but you can search for me. You can probably find me the meaningfulness guy and uh, um, love to have you as part of my community there. Perfect. And the name of the book again, uh, that, that Zach wrote is called the invisible leader transform your life, work and organization with the power of authentic purpose. And you can find it uh, at Amazon. You can also find it at his website, zachmercurio.com. Thanks so much for being with us today, Zach. Yeah. Thanks so much. It was fun. Zach, one of my, one of my measures is always how quickly do I want to go back and listen to this again? Uh, and, and I, I, it's going to happen real quickly. So, Me too. Yeah. I, I want to go back and listen too to this because that's what happens. You know, you get in the flow of a good conversation and I want to know what we talked about. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. So, we'll definitely have you back. Have a great, great day. Thank yeah, you. You too. Thank Bye. Iris, seriously, like, that was absolutely incredible. We can't thank Zach enough for being with us. Um, let's start off with you. I mean, I know you were taking notes over there because I saw you with your head down scribbling just like I was too. There was so much right. good stuff. What were the big takeaways for you today? I, th you know, I mean, there were so many. You're right. I have two pages here. Um, I, I think one was understanding the difference between mattering, you know, the conversation we had about mattering, belonging, uh, purpose, uh, love the love is definition of a purpose. You know, I mean, it's just an in, input to help people. Um, but purpose is your usefulness. It, it it's nothing more. It's it it means a lot, but it's nothing more. And you and I talk about why all the time. And I think purpose is just thrown out there um, as this um, holy grail, this magic bullet. You know, if you can find your purpose, you got it. You solved all world's problems. And really, everybody has their purpose, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they feel that they matter. A hundred percent. That was a big eye opener for me today, too. And then the other one, if, if Zach has not trademarked or copyrighted this, he absolutely should. Um, he said, intuition doesn't scale. Behaviors do. I thought that was brilliant. And then he went specifically into the three behaviors that leaders need to do in their organizations to build mattering. And those three were, you need to notice, you need to affirm, you need to tell people that they're needed. I just thought that was brilliant that we sometimes make things way too complex, I think, when it comes to our people strategy. But the building block of anything that you do with your people, if they want the work to matter, if they want to drive value in the marketplace, they have to feel like they matter. And as leaders, the three things you can do that Zach said today, the behaviors are, Notice, affirm, and tell people that they're needed. And so uh, with that, we want to thank you for tuning in today, Googleization Nation. If you haven't liked and subscribed to the podcast, please do so. Uh, because of you, we're in the top 1% in the world in global popularity of all podcasts. We're also in the top 100 for business management and in the top 100 for thought leader podcasts. So thank you for listening and tuning in and drop us a review. If you like what you hear, or just let us know who are some additional guests that you'd love to uh, come see, uh, be on the show with us. So until next time, I'm Jason Cochran signing off. And I'm Robert Wolf. And again, thank you very much for being part of Googleization Nation. A special thanks to Y Institute for partnering with us and sponsoring this episode. It was quite appropriate. And, uh, and Zach queued us up pretty well for a special event we're having in two weeks about remote work. Uh, some of the challenges. And we have Kate Lister uh, on as one of the panelists. Uh, we have Gad Levinen, who's the chief economist at Burning Glass Institute. 
And we also have Jeff Abbott, who's CEO of Avanti, a cybersecurity company. So um, Zach, Zach provided us with a whole lot of questions uh, we need to put in there. So how does mattering at work, uh, how do they, what's their perspective of mattering at work um, in, in a remote world and in every place and in everywhere uh, workplace, uh, which is Avanti's theme. So until next week, Thank you very much for being part of Googleization Nation. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. And don't let the shift hit your plans. <laughs> <laughs>